peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. But when people go to, if you're a CrossFit affiliate, people will walk in with an emotional connection to what it is they think you do. And what we've found, just being V23 Athletics, where they're like, they kind of have like the strongman thing going. Like they got some chick that's like pulling like 450, but then they have like, they did this 24-hour assault bike thing, but they do, um, they have this other chick over here with abs, and like, I don't know exactly what they do. It doesn't look like CrossFit, but... So whatever's going on in there, like something is working, right? But when people approach V23, now they're approaching it with a little curiosity. They're not going in there, I know what I'm getting, because you don't. You, it would be impossible for somebody that hasn't been doing this for a long time to walk into my gym and know exactly what they were getting into. It just wouldn't. So they approach with curiosity and they're like, they ask questions. What about the strength class or this? We have a, we do starting strength linear periodization. Why wouldn't you? It's the most boring, uh, most boring program on the planet. When you said, why wouldn't you? My first thing was going to be because it's boring. <laughs> it's absolutely boring, but it is but it the works. most widely used, most widely effective program there is on, on the mar oh, and that I know of that I'm aware of. Um, and why wouldn't you want athletes coming in with an incredible foundation rooted in the squat, the bench, the deadlift, the row, and the pull-up? Why, if, if you can have an athlete, if that's their onboarding program, imagine if every athlete that you walked into, into your gym had eight weeks of starting strength, linear periodization under their belt with a coach that oversaw the entire program. You know what I mean? How much, how much does, how much of a, Headache, does that alleviate for you, for your staff, and for that athlete over the lifespan of that athlete? That's a great point because coming from Softlead and utilizing Softlead as, a, as an app, it's a fitness app, right? Like the goal is to be the coach through the app. And one of the most difficult thing is being able to assess the athlete and knowing if they have a solid base of movement, right? So it's like you're just guessing. At the end of the day, though, we've set it up to where individuals now go through a process where they can come and integrate or uh, talk with the coaches and find out where they're at most of the times. And we've developed programs now to that cater towards that athlete who has, you know, zero to three months of training and that, you know, they need to have some basics of understanding movement because that's what's going to happen. But you said it's perfect. If we could have every single athlete walk, go through an eight to 12 week cycle that's starting strength, focusing on how to move properly, how to go ahead and move a barbell, right? How to move their body and close an open space allows for the progression and allows for the, the, the progress when they hit that plateau to go ahead and get over the plateau because now we're not having to regrain or rewire old bad habits that we, see to, that we would see when they start hitting those plateaus. And I think that's what we see today still, right? We're lacking that. Yeah, 100%. And I've never owned a gym one of these days, sure. And I've never thought about that because I've never had to think about like, what's the, I, like, how do we start them small and then add all the fancy stuff to it afterwards? And it, it's totally true because if you can teach good squat mechanics under load, then a wall ball's easier, a thruster makes more sense, an air squat's, you know, you know exactly what you're supposed to do. But if you teach an air squat and then an overhead squat with a PVC pipe, and then like a med ball clean, you're not actually getting to see like where athletes are going to break down and where their dysfunction is because there's no load or stress for the most part outside of just maybe their, you know, their, it, um, their lack of fitness. So you're like, oh yeah, 10 med ball cleans are hard because you've never had to move and breathe at the same time because you just haven't for a long time. Um, so just to be able to build that foundation of A strength, which I think is very important, and then B, you can start layering in all the fun stuff later on. And it's just, especially like seeing what people I'm going to assume seeing the people in your gym, people walk and they go, Oh, it makes sense. Like we lay this foundation of strength and like, I know you have a way of explaining it, but I'm just guessing as a member that would walk in and kind of see the people, you'd be like, Oh yeah, the way he described that, that makes perfect sense. Like I have this layer of foundation of strength and then, yeah, the fun stuff will come the sexy things that you see on TV. Like you'll get to that. We'll sprinkle it in there once in a while, but we want you to be healthy. It's your journey. It's not mine. You know, 
the world's your fucking oyster. What do you want to do? As opposed to this like, all right, cool, you did your fucking three weeks and you still don't know what a pull-up is and you know how to handle a broomstick and you've done a bunch of med ball cleans and none of these things we're going to do in class. We're just going to now start loading you with a barbell and tell you to go harder. Or even even worse than that is like they start throwing them new scaling movements that they've never done when it actually probably would have been beneficial to go ahead and teach them the scaled movements to go ahead and show them the path to that pull-up or that snatch or anything else like that. Because again, you're setting the coaches up for success when you have your athletes do that. And that's one thing I used to run at, you know, when I ran double barrel, it was a legit 10 class progression and it wasn't teaching you how to do a pull-up it wasn't teaching you how to do no you didn't do any of that stuff like if you couldn't do a pull-up in your assessment you're being taught how to fucking one body mechanics how to go ahead and and breathe and brace how to go ahead and put yourself in those positions but then it was like well how do we strengthen the areas that allow you to do a pull-up safely right in a strict manner oh you have really and we talked about this yesterday at dinner right we have really bad shoulder positioning oh well that's not going to help you pull properly oh you're 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 Left ankle was way too tight. I'm not going to load you with a barbell because what's going to end up happening is within six months, I'm probably going to fuck up your hip, right? Like, why would I do that? I, fuck that. I want to go ahead and teach you how to move properly because, again, when it comes down to it, we want everyone to be able to run, jump, throw, catch, kick with uh, with agility, balance, and coordination, however you want to look at it. That's the goal, right? And if I have someone walk into a gym, especially if I was to run another one in the future, that is one of the main assessments. How good are you at running? How good are you at jumping? How good are you at throwing, catching, kicking? And what's your agility, coordination, and balance look like? And then from there, I can go ahead and start implementing everything else because, again, those are everyday movements we do in our lives, right? So why would I not test that and then use everything else that I have in my arsenal to get you there? Because I think that's the piece that's missing, right? It's like, hey, CrossFit's this sexy thing when we go ahead and look at it from a perspective of like, hey, CrossFit, yeah, it's, it, is it a sport? To some people, it is. Is CrossFit a community? Yes, it is. Is CrossFit a methodology? Yes, it is. So ultimately, what is CrossFit? It's all of these things. And 100 words in fitness, like we mentioned earlier, that's the idea. So if we can go ahead and continue providing a message that allows for under, for coaches and athletes to go ahead and under, understand, like when you go into the gym and train, you're not just trying to get better at your snatch. You're not just trying to get better at doing thrusters. You're actually trying to get better at your life outside of here, right? To where I like to say this for the tactic professional. I'd rather see a tactic professional go kick a door down, do whatever he has to do, fly back home and go bang his wife. Like that right there lets me know that he's healthy and he's able to go ahead, right? Because right? he was able to downregulate, get himself back and compare to what we see today in, in, in a lot of these tactical professionals and let's say competitive CrossFit athletes who think it's a sport, well, realistically, they might be the best in the gym, but outside of it, it's not, right? Like their endocrine system's completely fucked up. And and that's a whole nother pathway that we can look at. And it's like, well, that's our goal is to go ahead and fix what's inside of you. And not just like when we talk about from the spirit aspect, not that we're talking about from a physiological perspective, meaning how does your body respond to external stressors and what does that biological resource do? Right? Like that's, that's it. I, I truly believe. Yeah. And, and going back to just something I wanted to touch on when we were talking about like the newer athlete, I'm not saying that an athlete comes in and day one, they're under load doing starting strength linear periodization. But I'm saying, think about laying the foundation for laying the language of movement, the language of strength. And maybe, yeah, absolutely, you should be teaching a squat to a med ball before an air squat and then so on and so forth. But that leads into a greater conversation that movement exists on an infinite continuum of complexity and stability. So one of the things that we train our staff on is, number one, to view it in that manner to where... I think it's important for the athletes to know where they're at on that continuum, right? Whether it's gymnastics, whether it's where they're at on their muscle up, where they're at, like when they'll be introduced to Olympic lifting and then understanding why it might not be the best thing for them right now. Most people don't want to, most people didn't know they want to do Olympic lift until somebody tells them it's important to Olympic lift. Long before I started any of this shit, I think I was, I was, a normal workout for me was a three-mile run in a 25 in a, in a vest or a kit, 100 behind-the-neck pull-ups, 100 push-ups, another two-and-a-half mile. You know, just a big go-fuck-yourself German volume workout. Oh, yeah. I had never snatched a barbell in my life. 
And I was doing 100 behind the neck pull-ups every day in a 25-pound vest. Does that mean I'm not fit because I can't because I'd never snatched a barbell? I don't think so. I was pretty athletic, but I didn't even know it was. I didn't even know I was supposed to do it until I was introduced to the thing. So now take the new athlete that walks into your gym. Somebody here, one of you motherfuckers, told her that snatching was important. Why? Because it's not. She needs to be. She needs to move safely first. Who the fuck said she needs to be snatching? It, it is like it, it's Olympic weightlifting is one of the most complex things you can do in a gym. And somehow it's also become it's become like the sexiest, most sought after thing that people want to do. And it like it, it almost hurts me to call most things you see in a gym like Olympic weightlifting. Right. Like there's <laughs> there's Olympic weightlifting and then there's putting a barbell over your head playing, with, playing with some yourself. sort of contact between your knee and your belly button. And then you some sort of like maybe press out thing overhead and then like some sort of ground to barbell to shoulder to the bar hit somewhere again between your kneecap and your belly button, probably in a different spot every time. And it's just, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know when that became like the thing because I, I mean, I didn't and like I have a, uh, an affinity towards bodybuilding and powerlifting and strongman and I always have for my entire life. But I also never even knew what Olympic weightlifting was other than like, I think I saw it on the Olympics occasionally as a kid, like in passing while waiting for something to come on the Olympics. And it was, was boring actually, to watch even as a kid. It was super fucking boring. Right. <laughs> and it's only not boring now. Cause I know enough people in the sport that there's a lot more tied to it. So there's more context, but yeah, it's so, so then ahead. what's the, where's the disparity? Because you watched this as a kid. And then you ran into this again later on when you began coaching or doing the fitness thing. So I would assume that there is a, a method and a training protocol to learning Olympic lifting. Yes? 100%. If they were already doing it when you were a kid. So where the fuck is this at? Where, is this, where did it go? Because it's out there. We all know it's out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then when did Olympic lifting become playing catch with yourself with the barbell we call it, we call it the only child <laughs> just throwing it up and playing catch with yourself when did one become the other answer please because i'm still well that's right that's <laughs> what, yeah please wow um i i don't know right like i i do think crossfit is the main driver for that and for whatever reason it has become a very sexy and appealing um or appealing movements to do and I want to say, trust me, I've also been, I've worked with NFL athletes. I've worked with college combine football players. I've worked with field sport athletes. I'm not saying this is exclusive to this one thing. hundred percent. That's 100%. not what I'm getting I, it's at. Just, it's just, that's my, like, that's my context for it are those gyms. But I also think, um, it's such like the sport's so complex and there's very, very, very good coaches out there that know all of the nuances of the sport how to break it down, how to teach it, how to explain it to people. And that's not your everyday gym, right? And I think you'd see it, you know, I'm sure you can see it when you go to gyms, you can see it like powerlifting's the same way. Like you watch somebody fucking bench press in, I'm just going to say a CrossFit gym, a box gym, a fucking Globo gym, whatever. And it's not technically right in any way, shape or form. It's the same thing, right? Like it's unracking a bar, bringing it down to your chest in hopes that your sternum doesn't crush, like get crushed and then trying to fling the weight off your body by doing some sort of glute bridge. No offense. I know you do that shit yeah. too, <laughs> <laughs> but, but let, let's break this down. Why do you have somebody do an Olympic lift in the first place? Because you think that's what's going to keep them there paying you money <laughs> because they got the auto debit on and that shit on the first it swipes every month. But, but so here, and this is, why would you have an athlete perform an Olympic lift? What are you trying to do? Well, it depends on like power development. Sure, honestly. right, right. For the rate of force of development, force development yeah. right? So unless they're specific, like, so I can go really deep with that. Right. But at the end of the day, it's like, does it have transferability for the athlete into their sport or their everyday life? Correct. But where I was going with this is if all we're trying to do is get an athlete to produce greater amounts of force faster. There's simpler things to do that. There are, but, and they should be introduced to those things first. first. Are you fast enough to express it? Can you overcome the strength deficit between your hardware and your software? 
And why would, so we go, you know, muscle clean, muscle snatch from the hang. We don't pull from the floor until they've already mastered all their catch positions. So I can introduce, I can introduce as little real estate as possible with like a high hang muscle snatch or high hang muscle clean, get the turnover I want, start developing the speed through the middle, then introduce more real estate. Now, I've never coached a legitimate Olympic. I'm not an Olympic lifting coach. I get people strong and I get them fast. So why would I? I don't specifically have them ever train the classic Olympic variation because how many many athletes in normal gyms, who's that asshole who can power clean more than they can squat clean? Exactly, right? So why aren't you teaching that athlete to generate more force into their power clean. You don't have a strength issue. You have a skill issue at that point. So if your athlete's already strong, leave well enough alone unless they need, you have some type, unless there's a demand for that athlete, which could, and if you can argue, increased athleticism, increased neurological capacity, that's fine. But you're giving me a reason rather than just saying, because this guy said so. And there's a difference there. Now you're, to me, being, you, you have a why. Instead of just because yeah, there's, there's intent behind your your idea, and, and I do think, and we're all guilty of it, right? Like we all have our own biases. So somebody loves to snatch and clean and jerk. They're gonna if they're a coach, they're gonna teach people they coach to do that. Yeah, I think a lot of the time, like I have a strength bias, um, and I love you know accommodating resistance. So when I teach people strength, I like to use it. I'm not using it in like necessarily the Louis Simmons West Side specific. I, I watched a video of Dave Tate the other day and I was like, you're not doing West Side unless you're fucking at West Side, right? Like you're not, it's not the same thing because there's an environment involved. There's a lot of things involved. But I happen to think accommodating resistance, A, I think people fi- think it's fucking fun, right? And at some point we got away from fun being okay in the gym. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is better, that's better. And it's like, but if, if somebody enjoys what they're doing, that's better than any fucking science and like fucking biomechanics you can ever throw at me. Because yeah. the best program is the program somebody will do, well, right? The best diet is the diet somebody will follow. So you can throw all the words and all the fucking gimmicks and all the things you want at somebody. But at the end of the day, if they're kind of like, I'm not into this, what do you have? Right? Like we were talking the other day, like you're not a coach unless you're fucking coaching people. Yeah. So well, and it, it goes to this, right? How many people actually follow the said principle? Right. Exactly. At the end of the day, how many people follow that, right? When I go in and look at teaching some, when I go and look at an Olympic weightlifter, I know that they're trying to increase their snatch and clean and jerk on the platform. That means they have three lifts per movement. I need to go ahead and get them as strong and and technically proficient enough to go ahead and lift a one RM on a platform when it matters. To do so, though, I need to go ahead and approach it from a, from the said principle, right? A low skill to high skill. Meaning if I have a kid that comes into my gym and I want him to go ahead and become a very good weightlifter, right? Like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to snatch and clean because I want you to be a really good weightlifter because you have characteristics that from overtime, say you can do so. Your, your jump is, you've, you've hit all of, the, all of the kid progressions, running, jumping, throwing, all those things. You have a very good vertical leap, right? You have some very good power. Well, that transfers over into weightlifting, but it also transfers over into your sport of football, soccer, baseball, whatever you want, basketball, right? At the end of the day, if I can look at it and be like, okay, cool, if I can approach both of these modalities from a very low skill perspective, I will then give them the tools to allow for them to execute at high skill states or high stress states or high risk states, however you want to look at it. So at the end of the day, you, you enjoy powerlifting like no other, right? Bo, you enjoy utilizing strongman for a lot of the, and I'm not saying you don't do, but that's something where, you know, softly comes in and we take strength of powerlifting. We take weightlifting and we don't even program snatches in our programming because we don't believe tactical professionals should be snatching a barbell over the head because does that have transferability to their job? Yeah, and the, the risk reward. A hundred percent. Arguably more on the risk side than the reward side compared to everything else you could do for a similar benefit. A hundred percent. But when I come and look at strongman, because this is now the next thing, right? When I look at strongman, we have multiple different planes of movement that we can go ahead and generate force for them. What do you have to do as an athlete who is having to make a cut or having to block somebody as alignment or who has to, you know, jump for a rebound and then take a free throw? Or we can go into that. Or you take the tactical athlete who 
jumps off a jumps off a three foot wall, then has to run with a full kid on his back over a four foot wide um, canal to a berm to now lay down fire. And then he has to make sure his buddies are able to do that, right? How do we transfer that? But at the end of the day, we go and look at strongman, right? I like to take strongman, carry, push, pull, and throw. Beautiful movements. Why? Because it has transferability to our everyday lifestyle, where I believe that every GPP individual or every human being, no matter what your sport is or no matter what you're training for, should be able to do all of those things and generate force, meaning you should be able to grab a 60-pound sandbag and lateral throw that motherfucker fucking 10 yards, (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, those are the things that we're looking at in that manner. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when we come down to this and, you know, we're trying to break down, like, what is CrossFit as a methodology is. And I know we've had this conversation before, and I think we always go back to it because, again, we look at strength conditioning completely different than what a lot of people look at um, strength and conditioning as, right? We look as, again, we use strength conditioning to improve someone in the sport of CrossFit. We use strength conditioning to go ahead and improve someone's ability to do CrossFit inside a gym. We use strength conditioning to go ahead and uplift the community so they come together to go ahead and do CrossFit, right? Yeah, and it's similar to where the amateur, even, you know, on to look at it differently where it's, the amateur sees powerlifting movements, yep. strongman movements, CrossFit movements, Olympic lifting, Olympic lifting movements. The professional knows there's only movement. There's mm-hmm. just one universal language, and we have to make up rules in the gym and rules of engagement so that we can teach this language because once you go, there are no laws, and there's no weight classes in the jungle. There's no laws in the jungle. Once you're outside the gym, we're all just out there moving. Yep. And by learning that very basic movement language as advanced as you may need it, whether you're a tactical athlete or you're just trying to keep up with your kids, I think there needs to be more oversight and responsibility on how we're uh, distributing that information I like that. to people, I believe. so. I was actually going to bag on you a little bit for saying you do strongman. Right, just like when you see mixed modal and somebody calls it CrossFit, like just because you're doing a single arm farmer's carry doesn't mean you're doing strongman. And I mean, I'm I'm fucking with you, but at the same time, like I do think the language is important around it because in your head, to you, you're like it's a movement that mimics what people do in strongman, but you're actually doing it core stability. You know, it's all a full of, body strength. It's right, full body. All of these things to help them progress in the thing they really want to do, which I know is what you said, but just to like make it as simple as possible. Like, and I think that's what we all do really well if we're going to pat ourselves on the back is it's not necessarily like one thing that is the thing that we do but it's like a person comes in and they're like this is what I want to do and you're like I can either help you or I can't based on what that thing is and their fucking personality um, and then you help them attain that goal with all of the different modalities that you can do within movement as without having to put a label on it and like call it something and sure it's your brand because that's everything's a fucking brand these days but at the end of the day it is just movement and there's safe ways to do movement and there's unsafe ways to do movement and there's somewhere in between and it's different for everybody to a degree yeah i will i want to unpack the whole idea of movement because something i learned when i started coming up in the weightlifting world as a, when i was coaching weightlifters um something i saw ursula do from texas barbell she utilized the med ball and like automatically everyone hears med ball what does everyone go to med ball cleans and, and it wasn't that she didn't utilize the med ball for that she utilized the med ball in a very strength conditioning manner meaning we're doing warm-ups with it we're teaching how to th- create generate power we're teaching how to develop the triple extension we're we're warming the hamstrings up we're using this object to go ahead and and prime us for they didn't just do wall balls no okay no right like we did all these things to do that we go ahead and look at the same thing for you know we go and look at coach we look at coach b as well you know with the bergner strength and the bergner warm-up right and the junkyard dog there's there's these warm-ups for specific reasons to go ahead and get that universal language of movement across so that when you're in the floor teaching, like you said last night at dinner, I should take no more than three to five words to go ahead and change someone's position, right? Hey, you're not finishing at the top enough. I can see that. I don't have to tell them you're not finishing. Hey, jump more. Hey, hey I need you to shrug more at the top after your jump, right? Hey, keep the bar close. Right. Hey, keep the knuckles tucked under, right? Hey, elbows out. Keep the lats tight. Hey, use your legs off the ground. Don't use your back. Yeah. 
Like those are cues that, but that comes from understanding movement literacy and understanding the language of movement. Yeah, and and the the lexicon has to be established between because what there's a saying where it's like comprehension begins at the listener's ear, right? So saying I, I had um, so we give our coaches regular feedback and they know it's coming, and I even get regular feedback. And dude, this is fucking hilarious. So I brought this coach into the office and I'm like. You, you know, everybody says, get tight, get tight. It's like yelling knees fucking out, right? It's this universal law that happens in a gym. And I was like, do you, do you have the rapport with this athlete where they understand what get tight is? You know what I mean? Because I've had, I've had people, I've had females that squat over 300 pounds that still don't, then, then later on teaching them actually how to brace and use a transverse. So you can yell get tight at them all day, but it, no do idea they, what do they understand what that means? But the, the, oh, dude. So I said, I, give me something because, you know, communication, clear, compelling, and cues need to be actionable. Does this person know how to do this? And uh, instead of get tight, she said, engage your torso. And I just started fucking dying, dude. I was like, oh, that's, I was like, I need to write a post about engage your torso. And this is going to be me ranting on how poor communication is in the strength and conditioning world because there's some asshole out there saying it you know what i mean something totally off the wall other than get tight engage your torso and i was dying dude i won't throw the 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 coach under the bus that said that i promised her i wouldn't but yeah i was dying all right so now we know it was ruthie um (laughs) i'm just kidding Uh, i i hate when people say that there's bad cues because there's not bad cues there's just um fuck what's the right way to say it like if if you have that rapport with an athlete if. and they understand what you're trying to say and whatever the language is that you said to you like whatever like yeah knees out just as a blanket statement for 30 people in the gym doesn't make sense the right cue is the cue that works yes right. it, and it need like so knees out because you hear it all the time knees out's a bad cue whatever and it's like or if you have explained to the client or the athlete what you mean when you say knees out because you don't want to say like. Like you can't say 30 words in the middle of a back squat and have like, it has to be two or three words or a word that they hear. They know what it means immediately and they can make a correction or they can re-rack the fucking weight and turn around and be like, what do you mean? Or whatever. But if they understand like what that means, then no, there's no bad cue, but the bad cue is the one that is confusing that has no like context behind it. There's no intent with your words other than to just say something. So like which one's more effective in your eyes, yelling up, 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 up at somebody who's trying to stand up or knees out, 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 out at somebody who's already trying to keep their knees out. Because I know when I squat, I don't hear a fucking thing anybody's saying to me. That was a rhetorical <laughs> question. No, I, I but, know. Yeah. I, I think the environment is what matters in those circumstances because I know people like shit on the idea of like screaming at somebody during a back squat because some people don't hear things. <laughs> but it's like when I used to power lift at Jesse's gym, like – it was helpful, it, and I think what it did, at least for me, was it allowed me to focus on the only thing I needed to focus on without all of the other thoughts that could go into my head. Yeah, but it's, it's an energy, that's, that's an energy or a vibe or 100%. support, right? You could be just making a guttural noise. I mean, just, somebody could be, especially in a powerlifting gym, you could be yelling, donut, 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 right. and it would for sure have the same effect. Right. Um, like, honestly, 90% of the time, I think it would be just as fucking helpful as up, 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 or press, or right. go. Like, I go to powerlifting beats all the time. I yell at my athletes consistently, but like, <laughs> I know it's like, it's at least heard, and I think for some people, just like, it's telling you like, I'm paying attention. Sure. To a degree, without like, hey, you're doing a really good job. <laughs> yeah. Keep going. Like that doesn't work. Yeah. So I don't know. Like it, I get why it's stupid, but I also get why it works. Yeah. So another. So this is another one that I like to. I like. I actually like to use, and it's a question that I probably have for you two guys. Seeing someone come out of a hole with a front squat, hips shoot back, right? We know most people. Will sh- what's the most noticeable cue someone's going to give there right away? Someone hits the bottom of the squat, front squat, hips shoot back, thoracic goes ahead and starts rounding, elbows drop forward. Yeah. There's always going to be a few cues that people throw out, which would be the most beneficial for them in that moment, right? You know, we hear it, hips through, hips forward, elbows up. Right. You know, and it's like, well, all of those things the athlete's probably already trying to do. 
what do we what is the language we use to go ahead and get them to go ahead and not have that happen but by teaching them because i i, I was listening there was another coach who was talking about this the other day you should only have to give an athlete a cue an external cue for so long before it just becomes ingrained in there yep right where it's like i, I shouldn't have to if you're squatting five six hundred pounds yelling knees out uh, to me is isn't going to be very effective, right? Because if this athlete's, if you have a female who's squatting 250, 300 pounds, she knows where her knees need to be in her squat. If you have a guy squatting four, five, six, seven, he knows where his knees to be in the squat. So going back to what you were saying is let's take it to get tight. Do athletes know what it means to get tight? Do athletes know, are they showing a stable front rack position? Do they deserve to be down there with that weight in the first place? Is this just a just throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks or does this athlete have the confidence and the competence to express this specific lift at the, whatever the agreed upon standard of the movement needs to be given you as a coach or your gym or training team or sport. So I'm going to push back on that a little bit because I think good coaching allows for you to then be able to have an interaction with an athlete during a movement that only needs cues that makes sense to them. So like uh, saying that somebody can back squat 600 pounds and therefore their form's impeccable isn't, isn't accurate, right? Like right. we've seen, right. um, and, and I think just being like, no matter how much you lift, I think it comes down to the more you've been with an athlete, the less you have to say those cues. Sure. But you do still need a reminder. I mean, I've benched 509. We could argue 500 pounds is a pretty decent bench press. And it didn't matter what weight I was at. At times, I still needed to, like, tuck your elbows, keep your butt down, like, pull your knees back more, like, press up and back, don't press away from you. Like, you, you never get to a point, I think, with a movement where you're so proficient at it that you don't still need at least a reminder occasionally. If you have somebody that you've been coaching for five years and you have to say knees out on every fucking squat they do every time, okay, you've probably been doing something a little inaccurate. But, but that's obviously there's disparity between the cues that a newer athlete is going to get. Yeah, yeah. Right? And you teach. These are where your knees go when you squat. You teach that. And yes, we, we need occasional reminders. But if, if I was to start talking about deviation of bar path and groove and stuff like that. Oh, with, 100%. And so again, it's another, it's a heightened, yeah, you need... When it, when it even like, so I have not bench pressed anywhere remotely close to what you have. Yeah. I'm hitting, 400, <laughs> I, I'm doing, you know, I, the first time I bench pressed, I broke my nose. Long story made for a uh, really tough childhood. But, you know, I just, I'm just bored pressing 400 pounds. And to me, that's right about, right about the area where groove and bar path becomes incredibly important. I think. Uh -huh. You know, 185, depending on where it is relative to the lift or whatnot. But, yeah, now you're getting into more advanced cues, and other people see this. And that feedback is necessary. Did I cut you off? No. Okay. Um, I, I completely agree with all that. And it, it is uh, – it's almost like the, the more experienced the lifter, the more it's a reminder than a cue. And I know you're cueing because you're like, say this, do this. But it, it isn't like, oh, shit, okay, I just taught them how to, like, keep their core tight – once they figure that out, then I have to move on to the next thing. It's just like, hey, dipshit, keep your core tight. And like, cool, got it, my bad. Or what, like, we've all been in a lift, your head somewhere else, or you just kind of like, oh, it's a warm up, like just down and up, get it over with. And it's like, fucking pay attention, like get your head in the game, like whatever. You're like, oh shit, right, cool, and then you're good. Well, and this moves into the idea of, of, of the homies over at Power Athlete, right? And they push the whole posture and position. And and one thing I really love about that is the fact that if you can go ahead as a coach, look at posture and position, you can ultimately know how that loads, what that load's going to do to that athlete. So again, going back to the front squat, thoracics folded over, hips are shot back, core is broken, elbows are dropping. That athlete probably shouldn't be even touching that weight due to the fact of posture and position leading up to it probably looked the exact same way. I was going to say my cue would be racket. 100%, right? My cue would be like racket. Yeah. Drop it, take the weight off, let's start over. But, but that's the thing though, right? When we come back and look at this from an idea of an athlete who's benching 400 pounds off a board at three inches, right? Hey, keep your elbows in, keep the lats tight, keep the knuckles stacked over the wrist so you don't break your wrist. Right, those things aren't taught at that 400 pound dead or that 400 pound bench press at the board. No, it is taught actually when he's bench pressing at 135 for warm up sets. 
right? To where it's like, oh, for this bench press, for me to handle 400, I need to make sure my, my fist is stacked over my wrist, my wrist is stacked over my elbow, and my elbow is stacked over my, my shoulder girdle properly, right? To where it supports the load. Again, we're very strong, resilient fucking humans. So if we can go ahead and teach the athlete and create the universal language of what understanding posture and position is, we then will see less injuries and we'll be able to hit now masses amounts of weight and reach full potential of what the athlete can do. What are your thoughts on maxing out? Um, either from like, what are your thoughts on maxing out? Like from a positional standpoint. Um, so I, so for me, man, like my influence a lot was coming from Coach Bergner and the Bergner way, right? Of looking at posture and position and the the bar speed. So for example, if I say it's a heavy three RM day for the day. And we'll take Maddie Rogers, for example, because Amy comes from around the same area, right? She was like, hey, Maddie hit three R, hit, was going for a three RM for back squat today, right? But the bar path was moving great and we were spontaneous and it looked good. And like I texted you yesterday, I was like, hey, something Coach B taught me when the pan is frying, you keep cooking on it, um, which is the truth, which means that their posture and position is on point and the bar speed is on point and there hasn't been no serious breakdown that's going to cause injury that's when I'll stop the max out. The same thing with a heavy, again, I'll take my weightlifting teams when I used to coach weightlifters. The only time I let them max out is as long as the bar path and the bar position and speed was there. Once I saw things start happening or they start losing it, I let them, we, we back the weight down by 20%, sometimes 30, hit a good lift that gives you all those same things again so you can walk away with, again, that neurological tension of what it feels like to do the right movement. Yeah, I'm pretty much on board with that, but I do think, and maybe this is like when when you're in competition only, but occasionally like when you max out, and I'm thinking more powerlifting than weightlifting just because it's more more my world, but like things are going to break down. Correct. And I don't necessarily think that's bad so long as it's not continued. So, you know, we ingrain good movement patterns, good motor patterns, you know, good mechanics so that when that does happen, it happens a little less than it might. So yeah, you might like, you know, maybe you go for a one RM back squat and you come out of the hole and your hips kick back a bit and it kind of turns into a good morning and you're like, yep, you got it. Awesome. But you're also done. Correct. Right. And it's like, cool. Like that's not something we want to ingrain. Like I'd rather have somebody do that than miss. So I'm with you on that. And I, I should have probably hit that too, because that's actually another big piece. It was like, as when I was weightlifting full time, like my best snatch was a one, uh, 130. So 290 pound snatch. And when I received that barbell, or this first off, the way I pulled that barbell off the floor, it was a fucking straight leg RDL to, now my chest comes up, to jumping as hard as I can, caught it, and then I ended up doing almost a 180 turn with 130 kilos overhead and proceeded to stand up with it, right? But what saved me and allowed me to do those things was, the, was, again, the repetitions, the repetitions of hitting the right movement, the right movement, and then going into a peak and knowing what it feels like to lift a heavy barbell up to where my body naturally went to what the protective mechanism or survival mechanism was to allow me to move that maximum load. So yes, there is a breakdown, and I think we do need to train that in training, but unfortunately, it's trained as a priority than as a treasury or however you want to look at it and that's the problem yeah but in that but in that scenario also you just got you just got objective feedback because we want to you want to know where your guys are going to break down in the field that being in the field or being on the platform is the worst place to to learn that you have deficiency in something when you look and i'm i hope somebody calls me out on this if i'm wrong but i know in the true the older bulgarian like max effort uh, max effort uh, programs for their weightlifters when speed yep. deteriorated, your You're set done. was done. 100%. And, and it just so happens that from a technical standpoint, the better your position, the faster the, the bar is going to move. Yep. Right? There's a million ways to squat when you talk about force production. There's about five. Right? We've narrowed it down a million to five. So we know if speed is slowing down, Force production slowing down means position is slowing down now. So we've already kind of gotten out ahead of that, and we're not waiting until they staple themselves to the floor with a barbell. And then you as a coach or an athlete or whatever, you just got feedback on, say it is that front squat, and you your front rack starts to drop. I just got actionable information on what your next four weeks of training looks like to reinforce that position. And we did that safely because if, if we've done our homework – the athlete deserved 
deserved to be in that position, right? They had the requisite strength, the requisite stability, the requisite speed to be tested in that they arena. Earned it. What's that? They earned, they earned it. I was it. just going to say that. Yeah. Motherfucker. Yeah. So they earned the position, the, right? And they still didn't fail, right? But we were not telling them, okay, let's see how much more of a beating that front rack can take. No, we just got the intel we wanted. Now we know what the next training cycle looks like. Now we move forward. I just, it's this is going to be like really nuanced and neurotic of me to say this, but I think it's erotic. (laughs) After I say it, it is going to be kind of erotic, but speed is relative, right? So you're, you're fast moving a bar on a back squat is going to be different than mine is going to be different than George's. And I only say that because people hear things in like a vacuum and they're like, oh, bar speed. And they automatically think like fast and fast is relative to your mechanics, the weight on the bar and a lot of other biomechanical things that we don't need to get into, but like you watch Stan efforting back squat and it's basically like a fucking four second eccentric and he's not doing an eccentric. That's how he squats, yeah. right? Like right. it's the most, it's the slowest, most methodical fucking squat I've ever seen in my life. And he squatted, I think eight thirty seven, eight ninety seven, something like that. It, but that was just his fast. And I mean, I think Louis said this, you can't move a heavy weight slow, right? But that doesn't mean seeing somebody deadlift 900 pounds and it takes 15 seconds. It's not slow. It's just how fast that weight moves. For that person. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yep. Double microphones coming at me. Um, Speaking of erotic. (laughs) One thing that I one thing that I really was fortunate, you know, sitting inside Mike's gym in the garage, right, sitting there next to Coach B and watching lifters lift and hearing him cue and seeing him give athletes like, yeah, you need to lower the weight. One thing I really took from that was, again, you know, like bar speed isn't about how fast you move the bar because unfortunately people take that perspective and then their movement looks like complete shit. And then all of a sudden they move into their heavy one RMs and try and do the same exact thing and what ends up, ends up happening. We see tension being lost. We see them either come out of the, we're going to use a front squat again for a prime example. They hit that bottom of that hole and they hit it too hard. Where does their weight now go? Forward, backwards, they lose it. Now they're having to play with this idea of bar now the bar speed is no longer about the bar speed. It's relative. It's now what is the path of the bar? It's not doing this S method when it's not supposed to be doing that. It needs to be doing straight up and straight down, maintaining in the center of gravity of the heel and of the hip, the base of the, hip, of the hips, torso, shoulders coming out of the hole because yep. that gives us the speed. It, same idea with like a deadlift, right? Like people here move fast and all of a sudden you're yanking the bar off the ground and you're trying to jerk it and you're trying to create speed before you actually are in a position to move fast. Is it fast where it needs to be fast? Right. Because you have, specifically, I mean, yes, Olympic lifting and powerlifting, we're dealing with two very different ends of the spectrum. But, like, I train my Olympic lifters, especially early on, super slow. Well, we chunk it down and do almost exclusively skill transfer, where it's, you know, we learn all the tall variations, muscle variations, yada, yada, yada. But then we do our slow tempo work. I want it fast up here, Mm -hmm. and I want to make sure... As long as the bar increases, continues to increase in velocity and does not slow down, I don't give a shit how fast your first pull is, right? As long as it's fast up top. Yeah, especially for a newbie, I think slower is better, right? Fast through the middle, and then hopefully you have control overhead, and that'll be obsessed out through all the training that you do leading up to that. But yeah, the it, it's very rare, and I've seen it with some deadlifters where they're just ridiculously explosive off the floor, and then it just <laughs> keeps – no, no, it just keeps oh. going. It's rare, but it exists. Oh. Jeremy Avia is a good example. Uh, Kaylor Willems, pretty fast off the floor. I think when you get to like a 928 deadlift, nobody's fast off the floor. Like that's not relative. That's just a fact at this point. And that'll change because every fucking year there's better athletes, there's stronger athletes, there's freakier athletes. And who knows what's going to fucking happen in those sports. But I mean, you're only as strong as your strongest position, too. Right. So, like something like. Weakest I- position? You're only as strong as your weakest position? Is that it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 But I also like to say that you're only as fast as your strongest position too, if you think about it. Um, And and something that I take from that is the idea is like, hey, most lifts for weightlifting are missed off the floor, right? The, the, the speed off the floor was a little too fast. It threw the it threw the athlete's center of gravity forward or backwards, and it put the bar in bad position. So again, yes, s- slowing the athlete down off the floor and understanding, hey, when you start passing the knee, you need to start speeding up. Meaning you meaning the bar doesn't need to speed up. You need to start generating force faster through the middle, so you have the explosive strength and and power to go ahead and go where to get the barbell going up, so that you can naturally pull yourself down and around and receive the bar, right? And again. 
if I can do that and stay maintain, stay connected with the bar all the way through as I pull myself under and I turn the bar over and I receive it, boom, I've now just executed a proper lift, right? So again, me learning how to go ahead and do slow tempos at one, two, three to knee, back down, doing that is all gonna go ahead and help me get better for that fast position because it allowed me to stay in position to get to that position to go faster. And I think one thing I've seen in the, in the weightlifting world recently, and, and we talked about this the other day, was Spencer Arnold over at Performance and Grace is doing a lot of velocity-based training right now with his athletes that are going into meets. He utilizes it with Harrison. He's utilizing it with Dela Cruz right now. Um, he's using it with... Um, Morgan. Morgan, yep, as well as uh, Brad, as Bradley too, Jessica Bradley. And he has phenomenal athletes because he's using this velocity-based training four to five weeks out going into a meet and it hasn't, again, failed him yet because, again, what are we looking at? We're only as strong as our speed off the floor. We're only as strong as the, as, as the strongest position and the weakest position. So, again, it comes back down to, like, how good is your posture and position to maintain and not lose energy while you're moving a barbell? Um, <laughs> I don't want to cut your podcast short because it's your podcast, but we're 30 minutes into the open. Oh. Apparently it's 6.30 somehow. Oh, wow. But I do have a question for everybody, and I'm going to answer last since I'm asking it. What is your favorite part about coaching? Ooh. We kind of talked about this a little last minute. Bo, you want to go first or you want me to go first? I want you to go first. I can go first, actually, because I've been thinking about this for a while. I don't want to influence your, what you're going to say, but for me, I think it's paying attention. And not from like... Uh, egotistical, whatever, but like seeing how people's demeanors and lives and things change based on what they now know and can do and feel like they're capable of. Um, like I, I coach a lot of different sports. I've been to a lot of different meets. I've had really good athletes and it's really exciting to like see them succeed. But at the end of the day, it's cool to see like how that can positively impact their life. So mine comes a lot from I guess you say my military background, right? Jack of all trades, master of none. Same thing like you. I've got to participate and coach in multiple different sports domains. And I think a lot of what it, what for me in coaching is being able to take an athlete who's coming to me in the unknown and being able to go ahead and get them through all of it and in the back and, and having them become believers. Like they're like, holy shit, I just did that. I went from not being able to do X, Y, and Z. And then all of a sudden, let's say a year later, I'm now doing this. Um, and I'm going to use an ultra endurance athlete because again, the variability with ultra endurance compared to weightlifting, they're very different, right? There's very, there's very much more variabilities when it comes to ultra endurance than there is with weightlifting. I'm not saying that two are, are one's easier than the other. No, they're just two different types of complexity. And that was, that's one thing when I got into the ultra endurance world was that was being able to realize how to handle so many variables and problem solve on the go at all times to where it made me a believer which transferred into my life. So being able to take an athlete who comes in in this idea of like, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm coming to you for help, and then all of a sudden we're seeing them become a believer and they literally were able to learn exactly what it was and they can walk away now and go live their life and be healthy. And I have multiple athletes who have that. You know, I've have, I have, a, I have a friend, she's a prior athlete, she took second at reg, SoCal Regionals, got ready to qualify for the games and all these other things and she now is a mom of two and is now back to training and doing her own thing. I have another athlete who was a full-time weightlifter, regional athlete. She's out doing hiking and stuff like that. I had ultra endurance athletes who've done things and now they're just enjoying life, still running healthy and all those things. And I think that for me is what makes me enjoy coaching is being able to see them take what I've implemented from the unknowing of them to where they're believers now and they can go ahead and become an asset, not just to themselves, but to those around them. Favorite aspect of coaching. I mean, there's so many layers to that, man. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I know, I know. And it's, you know, to me, I think I, I look at, because I have a very, my personal approach for how fitness affected me is like, I see how, and yeah, this sounds super cliche, but specifically with strength has expanded my map. You know what I mean? It's a lot, dude, like I was telling Keegan about this. So I'm 230 pounds right now. Um, decent back squat, decent deadlift, decent bench. When I got out of high school, I was like 149 pounds soaking wet. So I was a very late bloomer. And it's, dude, life is different when you're physically capable. You know what I mean? So as much as I like dealing with like, I have strongman athletes, I have power lifters. I get as much joy from the guys showing up who've never been in a gym before. And I'm like, dude, I'm 230 pounds. I can, I can squat it over 550. And 
I know what I would be thinking if I walked into my gym. If I did, you know, if I, I'll, I'll never get to know what it's like to walk in my gym for the first time. But for somebody totally untrained to be able to walk in there and just be like, I want to do this. I'm like, fuck yeah. Like, let's go, dude. And then for me personally, being able to balance that without it ever making it about the thing and empowering the person instead of the thing like, dude, like, this isn't about somebody else's brand. This is about your, like, this isn't the best, fuck the best hour of your day. This is your best shot at life, dude. This isn't the best hour of your day. I'm not, if you like getting better, this will be the best hour of your day. And we do 90 minute classes. But this is about the remainder of your life. So being able to bring somebody in and watch them evolve, watch the conversation evolve, the questions they ask of themselves evolve, the questions they ask of their training evolve. It's like, this just goes on forever, dude. Like it never ends. And that's, that's, I, it's part of the process that I absolutely love. Crushed it. I wasn't, I, I felt like I was pretty in tune with what everybody was going to say. Cause I know how you guys all coach. Um, and it's not dissimilar from the way I do it. And I think one thing that's unique, I'm going to lump you into this without knowing, but I'm guessing it's going to be similar is that none of us are like bitter or upset when an athlete leaves us. No. Right. When it's like, Hey, like I'm good. I I'm going to go live my life and take walks and play with my kids. And like, you've taught me how to train myself. Therefore I'm going to go do that. And you're like fucking rad. Like go do your thing. Like I've, I don't think I've ever had like an athlete leave me that, um, like there were some times where circumstances around it made me a little bitter, but I've never like, I've never like been mad at the athlete for making the decision that ben- that they believe benefits their lives more than the one they've currently made. Because we all evolve, we all change. Like if you think you're going to get an athlete and keep them forever, you're fucking retarded. Uh, can I say that on here? Okay. Um, I don't have anything to get canceled yet, so go for it. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean. Like I- I've been in I've been in companies where like when attrition starts to happen, it's like, oh my god, why are people leaving? Yeah. And it's like maybe they're just not into doing this anymore. Like you know, I've had coaches where I just like hooked up with Rob Carson again. Uh, speaking of erotic, um, for coaching like a month ago, <laughs> and a lot of shit's gone on. And I hit him up the other day. And I was like, hey man. I'm totally down to get back into this. I just don't have the time right now or the bandwidth to get on a bike erg or a ski erg and like fucking sell my soul out to try to hit a world record. Like I just don't have that. And honestly, at this point, I'm like, I don't know if I ever will. Um, Cause I don't know, but yeah, like it's ever like things change, things evolve, people's lives change and like let, let people fucking live, man. Fuck. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pass the mic off over to Bo. I want you to go ahead and do your plug, bro. Um, and Keegan too. Go ahead and oh, do yours. <laughs> I have nothing to plug. Um, <laughs> um, dude, like, yeah. Uh, uh, v23, where can people find v, you? Yeah. V23 underscore athletics um, at underscore Bo Ryan, B-E-A-U-R-Y-A-N. Um, just meet head philosophy and, and heavyweights and, and good vibes, man. Heavyweights and good vibes. Um, I've started a new endeavor called Autonomous Athlete. Um, waiting on a website. There's currently an Instagram, uh, Autonomous Athlete. If you don't know how to spell autonomous, be it and look it up. Um, And, yeah, that's about it. Thank you, Keegan and Bo. Until next time. Thanks, George.